Spotlights is a series of online events and publications focusing on a particular group of victims and survivors who are often hidden from services. As part of our spotlight on homelessness and domestic abuse, my colleague Deirdre has met with Amanda Bloxham, service manager for Freshhold Housing First. In her interview, Amanda talks about how Freshhold has used the Housing First model to successfully support women with offending histories experiencing homelessness. She also talks about how each woman's experience of homelessness and offending history links to experiences of domestic abuse. Thanks for joining me today to talk about domestic abuse and homelessness. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be asked. Great. So the charity you work for is called Threshold, and they provide a housing-first model response for women who have an offending history and are experiencing homelessness. Is that correct? Yes. Just to add that um, Threshold's part of the new charter group, but we've been operating the model for just over two years now for women offenders. So the, the, the framework that you're providing that, that is different to what's been previously done is called the housing first model. And we've talked about this in a previous podcast interview, but some people might not have listened to that. So can you give a brief explanation as to what housing first is as a concept and how it's different to what's been yeah. previously done in the UK? Yeah. So housing first is... Um, uh, an understanding that housing is a basic human right. Yep. So it's looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and putting housing at one of the basic, very beginning of a human right to enable that person to allow to develop from a stable environment so they're able to sort out their issues and the complexities from a stable beginning, really. So it's responsive and real client-centred support and choice around the home and the support they receive. The support is open-ended and traditionally in services in the UK, we, we work on a specific time scale. For example, somebody could work for three months or six months with somebody. Mm -hmm. to get a bunch of support. Also, what's very different is we're working to people's strengths and assets, and that's part of the model. Instead of looking at, at working at people's issues and problems, we're working on their strengths. We also um, look at the housing and support, so the tenancy and the p support for the person are not linked. They run separately, mm -hmm. and the person given permanent housing. If that permanent housing doesn't work, the support continues. Yeah. So we never give up on somebody. So we have a consistent and persistent approach. The Housing First model has absolutely thrown supported accommodation ideas on, on its head. But to get into supported accommodation, people who've got support needs traditionally have had to jump through hoops so, for example, you have to have no rent arrears or you have to have had minimal antisocial behaviour or you have to be drug-free or alcohol-free or all these different types of things. Whereas housing first gives you the house first and then allows you as a person to grow through that process. Which makes a lot of sense because if you think yeah. about it, how can you really deal with any of those other issues if you don't have 
a place to call home to yeah. have that stability um and i can imagine that it's not very good for someone to constantly have that pressure to know that any mistake that you make would lose you your home and you'd start over again exactly i mean we, we a lot of our people i mean i don't know they've been straight homeless we've had people who've been homeless for four years yep so we've been sofa surfing they've been homeless for four years and in a homeless situation i mean the thing that the person is actually thinking of is a safe roof over their head, especially for women who are particularly vulnerable if they're on the streets. Yeah. Um, to all sorts of exploitation and abuse. Um, so really, them trying to jump through roofs like paying off a rent arrears from previous accommodation, for example, would not enter somebody's head. And I'm sure, personally, if I could put myself in their shoes, it wouldn't enter my head either. I'd want someone to, somewhere to stay for the night. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be at the top of my priority list, nor feel very achievable if on a day-to-day basis I had nowhere to sleep. And some social landlords at the moment have to have no previous rent arrears. Now, for people with complex or any type of support needs who's had an accommodation previously, it's quite unlikely that they're going to have no rent arrears, no previous rent arrears. Yeah. Um, The other individual that I interviewed, Louisa Steele, she said that housing first as a concept is great, um, except for the fact that sometimes there's not enough housing and that you have to go to these social landlords who might not be quite as enticed by the model. What have you found? So so for us, we've had a little bit of a different situation. Also, to our advantage, we're part of a social, we're a social landlord ourselves. Okay. So we will provide the support, and as part of the new charter group, new charter basically um, have supported the project wholeheartedly and given us given us an allocation of accommodation. Okay. I think the proof has been in the pudding for the landlord, really, and. Yeah. Um, We've been able to prove it to them, really, that having support for people in their accommodation is much more positive for them and beneficial for the tenancy than to get somebody on general let who they don't know anything about. So it sounds like you've set a good example um, as a social landlord. You've kind of set a trend and then the outcomes that you have have convinced others to follow suit. But I guess also they're seeing you doing a good thing. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've been able to. I mean, not only a good thing. It's been it's been quite um, a two way uh, relationship. For example, in our service, we've got eighty percent sustainability, which means they've got somebody. The majority of our tenants for them, the cust- our customers and their tenants are not moving on. Yeah. So they they're, they're also reaping the financial rewards of um, long term income. Yeah. Kind yeah. of going, going back to talking about how the model works itself. I watched the video on your webpage of the two women talking about their experiences. And, and yeah. one of the women seemed to be really affected by the fact, like in a positive way, that she had a choice and where she lived. And one thing you also mentioned was how choice and self-determination are quite key. Why yeah. are those two things so important? Okay, so Housing First is a client-centred model, and when I talk to people about Housing First, I'm very passionate about it being real client-centred. Yeah. I mean, a lot of services in the past have said, oh, yes, we're client-centred, well, actually they're not, because they don't give the choice to the person. So within the Housing First and also within Threshold, our customers are at the heart of our service and they're valued and their decisions are valued. Um, 
the customer makes their own choices and when they make their own choices and changes them then them choices become final decisions and their decisions and it's giving them self-confidence they're totally engaged with that decision if you if you compare it to traditional homelessness services if somebody uh, goes to a homelessness service and asks to be rehoused they get one offer and they have to take that offer but with housing first they don't get that they get the choice it also enables them to gain firm roots in the community so that it's a long-lasting choice it may be that they move near to family or where they've got friends or where they're hoping to go to college back to college so that's the reason why the choice is so important we're finding that women when engaged in their own decisions and, and why shouldn't they be they're adults and you know fully functioning human beings the same as the rest of us and therefore, and therefore they're committed to making their own choices in the service this is enabling, enabling a positive spiral of success so once they've made one positive choice they're able to make other positive life choices it must give you a new sense of ownership over your life it must give you a choice yeah. you might not have had in a long long time Yes, I mean, lots of our women, um, and I talk about it later on when we talk about um, DV, but lots of our women who've been through our service in the last two and a little bit years have all been in DV relationships, every single one, Mm. Um, which is not part of the service. It's just been something that's that's happened to them, uh, women. They've all been in a DV relationship, quite often controlled, not making their own decisions. So this is a change for, for, for these women. I think just, just just really that positive engagement is key to the women making lasting changes. And we support women to facilitate their own change using yep. a co-production yep. approach. So okay. it's, it's a great thing. We're not, I think for us, we're quite often, people have used our service and have things done to them. Now we're yep. doing things with, with them. Yep. So it's not about something, it's about their decisions. So that's really good. And I think previously, services have worked on a deficit approach and we're working on an asset-based approach and what does um, that mean building on somebody's strengths yep so you can build on somebody's strengths but our women who come to our service if you say can you tell me what you're good at they say nothing mm. can you tell me what one of your strengths is they'll say nothing so we have to pick that and yeah. really get to know them and find out what the strengths are even when somebody's currently offended they have used skills to offend like organisation, planning, manipulation, yeah. then can then be used for something else. So their assets, yeah. if used in the right way. Yep. Just, just a quick example, really. Yeah. I talked to um, Lucy Allwright from Ava, and she was talking oh, yeah. about interviews that she did with women. And I thought one of the key things she said is, everybody keeps asking me about all this horrible stuff that happened to me, and that's negative, but... Nobody's recognizing that I've managed to stay alive um, and that she's probably had to do a lot of brave, difficult things to just stay alive. And it's yeah. kind of focusing on that and those strengths rather than yeah. what's been done to her repeatedly. Yeah. So we've obviously talked about the housing first model for women with an offending history. And I'm sure people are thinking, yes, but how does this relate to domestic abuse how have you found um the women that you've supported through this model how have they experienced domestic abuse if at all 
like I said earlier, every single woman has experienced domestic abuse. Um, and in particular, we're seeing correlations between domestic violence and offending. Um, every woman in our service, that's it, bar one, who was the perpetrator, yeah. uh, have been coerced into offending by their partners. There's patterns of persistent and consistent offending by the woman, and funnily enough, the partner has got a clean record, um, both substance misusing and um, quite often in this um, relationship where one person is exploited to offend. The women on our service are very, very high on the chaos index. Okay. So they, they have, um, which a chaos index highlights the complexity of needs, and they've got alcohol, substance misuse, mental health, and mainly lower level um, but persistent offending. But every single one of them has been in a DV relationship, quite sadly. Every single one of the women in our in our service has had their children removed. Our service, the service is for twelve women, and obviously there's throughput. So in the last two years, we've worked with thirty three women, yeah. and in the service, there's been sixty three children removed. Wow! And these have all been bar two, mm-hmm. were all due to um, DV relationships. The people, the woman, and the family were able to keep the children safe. Even just costs alone, if you think about the, the cost, the costs are major to the public purse about children being moved. Not just the costs, the, the differences to them, to them families. Yeah. Uh, we hope in the future that our service can um, change policy, away, help to change policy around how children and the, fam- the whole family is treated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So just to recap, the women that you support through your service are referred to you because they uh, they have a history of offending and they're homeless, yeah. not because yeah. of domestic abuse. Yet you find yeah. that for almost every single one, bar one, they have yeah. experienced domestic abuse, and this domestic abuse has a very strong link to their to their history of criminal behaviour. Yeah. Wow, what you're saying in practice, I think matches up with a lot of the theory that other people I've talked to um, said, which is basically women experiencing homelessness oftentimes have multiple disadvantages, um, violence in childhood, violence in adulthood, the trauma related to that, the mental health needs, the, you know, the drug and alcohol use all comes together to mould a very different experience that they yeah, have. Yeah. Oh, definitely very, very complex and started quite often very, very young. Lots of our women have also been through the care system. And you can see the, yeah, you can see lots of correlations from them going through the care system. Quite a lot of the reports that you can read at the moment, there's, there's links between people being in care and people offending, people losing children, having yeah. very very early on childhood trauma and that never really going away really that seems to be the beginning of of, of all the problems for somebody Uh, we've got very lots and lots of examples of people who've had um, lived in families where there was um, alcohol use substance misuse it's been sexual physical financial abuse and this just seems to be perpetuating um, from mum to child and then children removed we're hoping to stop that cycle for people for women who've have never really been able to manage as a fully functioning person without offending without substance misusing with nowhere to live 
they're being exploited, there's DV relationships. We'd hope that our service gives them a stable home and then one by one they can begin to address the issues at their own pace. And that makes a lot of sense, it makes a lot of common sense. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it is seeming to work. It's not an instant um, answer. It doesn't happen within weeks. It happens within years usually. So yeah. it's, it's not instant. Um, the average time that somebody's in our service has been one year. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the average time. Great. Well, I could talk to you for a very long time about this, but I think that's all the time we have. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me. Thanks very much. Nice You're speaking welcome. to you. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Safe Lives Spotlight on domestic abuse and homelessness, please go to our website, safelives.org.uk, where we will be uploading new content every week from different experts between the 7th of August through to the 15th of September. And we want to hear from you. We need your views, experiences and practice or tips so join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag SafeAtHome and get involved on the Safe Lives community. Thank you.